Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California Film, Minnesota. I'm the Looking California portion of the program. I'm an impossibly handsome uh, writer and acting coach in sunny Southern California. My name is Michael McCaffrey. Everybody knows that. Uh, I am joined today, as every day, by Barry Anderson, who is in Minnesota. He's feeling Minnesota. And at this very moment, if you knew what we just went through, you'd, you'd see how Minnesota he's feeling. Barry Anderson, tell us. I, I think, I think what's necessary is you, you go through these openings and you keep having to use my full name. I think by now people just know B Barry, I don't think we need to do this whole proper thing and stuff like that. We're, we, you know, we've moved beyond that now. It's, it's just, I just feel like every time I'm like, dude, just you're, you're over explaining things. Just go simple. But, just go simple, man. But Barry, as you know, we get thousands of new listeners of every podcast and we want them to be properly introduced to the stars of this podcast. So yeah. you know that that's why I do that because they come in because they hear B and Barry and they're here and then they're like, Oh, I like Mike too. So it's, 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 I'm, I'm the funnel that brings them to the show. Uh, under, yes. You're, you're, you're the, you're the glue that keeps them here. That that's how this. Oh, wow. I've, I've, I've been referred to as glue before. That's great. <laughs> uh, so listen up everybody. Listeners beware, please buckle up. Because Barry and I today, we are taking the highway to the danger zone. We are going to hit 10 G's. So I have one question for you, Barry. Do you feel the need? The need for speed. Woo! Here we go, everybody. We're doing Top Gun Maverick today, the biggest movie on the planet. It came out last week. Barry and I stayed away from the crowds. Uh, but we got to see it yesterday. Not together, of course. We're not that, those kind of people. Um, this movie is directed by Joseph, Joseph Kaczynski. And uh, it stars who else? Tom Cruise. He's phenomenal. He's the greatest movie star of all time. Uh, supporting roles, Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, John Hamm, ooh, Ed Harris. And we'll save a spoiler for later. Uh, this movie has a budget of $170 million, Barry. And it's made a whopping $330 million. Quite a lot. But if you know Hollywood accounting, they're just about breaking even right now. So good for them. The movie tells the story, of course. Uh, it's the sequel to the 1986 Tony Scott film, legendary film uh, called Top Gun, of course. Which is about Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell, played by Tom Cruise, who's like a hotshot fighter pilot in the Navy. And he goes through all sorts of stuff back in 86. Well, he's back. He's still breaking rules and breaking hearts and blowing things up. And he's Maverick. That's the basic premise of the movie. He's back doing the same old stuff he did before, but with new people. Um, so, yeah. Barry Anderson. We both saw this yesterday. We've not spoken a word to each other about it. I'm fascinated to hear what you have to think. Uh, what you think about this movie and let me let me just interject quickly i know what what critics and audiences think of it they love it rotten tomatoes has it i think at 97 percent uh critical score and a 99 percent audience score so barry what do you think about it um well i don't know at what point we're going to cross into spoilers um 
So I'm just going to, I'm going to try to keep it's, it light on the, on the four. Now it, yeah. the movie itself is rather formulaic. So it's, it's not like there's big twists and turns that you're going to be like, Whoa, you know, I never saw this coming. That that's not what this movie is about. This isn't breaking new storytelling. Um, there are a few things in there, but when I think we'll be discussing some scenes in the structure. So if you want to go in completely blind, uh, as usual, maybe don't listen to our critiques or dissection of what works and doesn't work in this movie. But I'll, I'll start with my my overarching opinion. Okay. I can't think of a more, definitely not a recent movie, but I, I can't think of the last movie that I would use this expression. But if this is not, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, if this is not Harvey Two-Face, if this is not, you know, Ying to Yang, there's maybe half a movie in here that's as good as movies get. And there's half a movie in here that you're just like, how did the same people make this movie? It is so bizarre. Like, it's like, usually it's like a movie's not very good or it's like, it's fighting for things. And this movie literally has the best and worst <laughs> just intermixed between it. And I, I have some theories. I have some, you know, some discussion points with you. I, thoroughly enjoyed the movie um i went on an imax screen and it was worth seeing on an imax screen and the i think in the modern society because there's you know everything now from social media and even before that when i grew up when you had things like entertainment weekly there was so much more accessible to hollywood that you we've kind of burnt out on the mystique and if you would have told me that tom cruise would be the last man standing as being an undeniable mega worldwide superstar that demands that you must see his movies in the theater. <laughs> I would have been like, I don't think, I don't think the risky business star is going to be the guy that when he's 65, it's going to be just, you know, must watch movie dumb. But I have to say sitting in a theater full of people clapping, yelling, the excitement was palpable. People were excited. They were happy. And I was just like, yeah. Remember when movies used to be like this? Remember when that communal experience was actually pleasant and like people left kind of smiling and wanting to chat with each other as you're walking out. And I can't tell you the last time I saw a movie like that. So there's, there's intangibles to the business of movies around this movie that hasn't been, even with recent Marvel movies, making a billion dollars, there's something different about this one. And uh, I'm going to tip my cap to Tom Cruise because um, for some reason he's, he demands that everyone come to his crazy and his crazy is worth watching. <laughs> it's super weird. So uh, they're, they're, I'm trying to keep it kind of 30,000 feet, but I'll, I'll stop there and get your opinion and we can dive into any part of this that you want. Oh, okay. Um, a little context. I watched the original Top Gun, the 1986 Tony Scott film on Monday. I think it was Monday, Monday or Tuesday. Uh, it was the last day it was on Netflix. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'll watch it since I, I think I'm going to see the new one this week. And I watched it. And that movie is um, a real, <laughs> it's not a good movie, um, but it, it definitely is, it captures the aesthetic of its time. Yes. Which is saying something. And it's Tony Scott, who is has a very distinctive style to his filmmaking. 
One which I, I frankly don't appreciate, um, but he has it, which, you know, okay, that's good. A lot of people don't. So you don't get much generic Tony Scott-ness in the no. Tony Scott movie. Like you, you're watching, you're going, oh, okay, here's Tony Scott. And for, those, for those that don't know about Tony Scott, the best I can reference, and they're not identical, but he would be, and I don't, don't, I don't mean this to diminish or to talk up the other, but he's a Michael Bay light. It's there's 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 a unique way that they approach how to shoot, how to edit, you know, the music they cut in, and it's just it's either you like it or you don't. But audiences in general tend to gravitate toward it, even though it tends to be a little bit more empty calorie. Um, but you know, Tony Scott, I've liked a lot of his movies, but and also he's you know the brother of Ridley Scott, and to think that you got two brothers that are iconic titans in the business, that's yeah. pretty u- unique. But uh, that I know there's a, a reference, you know, to obviously honoring Tony Scott because he passed away. Uh, you know, what was it, 10, 15 years ago now? Ten um, years ago, yeah, and that was my biggest worry going into this movie: is who are they going to get? And then when I saw the credits come up, I'm like, I have no idea who that director is. And at, <laughs> right. and at that moment, I was like, Oh, that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> I'm like, But I'm going to see where this goes. Uh, you know, uh, some of uh, Tom Cruise's regulars, you know, Christopher McQuarrie was a writer and a producer, so he's got some yeah, of his yeah. close people around him. But the fact that none of his close people took the reins, I was like. Huh. I wonder why that is. I'd love to know some of the backstory there, but again, we can decide to go into that or not. Yeah, that is pretty fascinating because, you know, Macquarie has written a bunch, I think he's written every Cruise film for the last bunch of years. Um, And so Cruise obviously is comfortable with him. My issue with this movie, unlike the original, is that, like I said, the original captured this sort of aesthetic of the 1980s in that it was super cheesy um jingoistic sort of uh, frankly homoerotic nonsense and this movie is you know for good or for ill is is desexualized right the the characters in it are are like uh ken and barbie dolls that have like no genitals and it maybe it does capture the over time because it's so generic and uninspiring to me and it basically is nostalgia for nostalgia's sake almost like those the recent spat of of uh disney plus star wars shows where the shows don't really exist on their own they they rely on people wanting to have that nostalgia button pushed and that's what it feels like with this movie. And I, th- you I know, think, there's a. I think a better tie-in actually is Spider-Man, the last Spider-Man movie, where to resurrect the previous Spider-Mans and put them in a movie so you can relive your earlier years and you know, kind of go back down memory lane, but make it feel like a modern movie. I think mm. there's, I think there's a, a similar sense. And I, and I wonder as a society as a whole, how much of it we're trying to go back to places where I know there's a lot of angst, a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, anger going on and that there isn't a lot of outlets in entertainment in general for light fare that allow people to escape and just smile for a moment. 
And I yeah. think this is the doctor's prescribed order, you know, a shot in the arm that people are desperately looking for, you know, not to say that people don't want to address any of the issues, but I think when you, when you're addressing anything in life, you know, you can't be on all the time. There's got to be releases. There's got to be stuff. And for whatever reason, Hollywood has not wanted to give us, I mean, we talked about it when we reviewed uh, Ted Lasso, when that became a worldwide phenomenon because of the fact that it allowed people just to enjoy something and it didn't, yeah. it didn't have to be anything else. And I think that's what this movie is. And I think there is a lot of projection and or nostalgia that go with it. But I think I, the part that seems different from our time is the one thing that just decided I'm not going to really do anything. I'm just going to make a generic movie that doesn't say a whole lot. And we're just going to see if we can entertain people, which seems to be antithetical to most of the content being produced today. And I think that's partly why people are enjoying it is they're like, oh, I get a moment. I can just, I can well, just be. I, I think it's, it's a multitude of things why, why people love the movie. And, and I'm not, like, if you love the movie, I'm not saying like, oh, you know, you're an idiot or something like that. I'm just saying like, what, what's interesting to me is why so many people love the movie. Because just from a detached sort of analysis of it, it's not a good movie, you know, it may be entertaining on some level that like, and that's what we're getting at is why is that? And part of that has to do with the nostalgia for a variety of things. The first of which is that it brings you back to that time in 1986 when there was clarity, cultural clarity in terms of um, storytelling. And Again, Top Gun is not a great film. It's a very simple film. And in that way, you see Tony Scott's brilliance. He makes it extremely, extremely streamlined, simple movie. And it works because of that. It's just like, here we go. We got these guys, that guy, Maverick's doing his thing. He's got this mysterious past, his father, the whole thing. There's a new a girl, all that stuff. And it's just like perfect Tony Scottness. And boom, you're off and running. And it's basically you know, I've written about this a lot. So many, many other people, it's basically, you know, an hour and a half long commercial for the military. And in its wake, there were huge spikes in, in uh, people enlisting. And, and it really changed the film industry in terms of that, especially the film industry's relationship to the Pentagon, who uh, really teamed up to make Top Gun for lack of a better term. And movies changed because of that. And, and it, it's happened, it's gotten, only gotten worse over time. And so you get this watered down sort of cinema, whereas prior to Top Gun, you had Platoon and, and Full Metal Jacket and Apocalypse Now and all these sort of anti-war films. Then you got this very muscular, jingoistic Top Gun and, and the Pentagon saw like, oh, we can make these types of movies and they work. And, so that clarity, whether you believe in it or not, whether, whether that's something you support or not, that clarity is reassuring to people. The other part that's reassuring in a nostalgic sense is that we don't have movie stars anymore. And even Tom Cruise is not a movie star anymore. He's made over the last 10 years almost nothing but junk. Like, atrociously shitty movies. <laughs> and, 
I mean, you look at it and and you're just like, oh, wow, geez. And he's churning out these really Mission Impossible is the thing that keeps him vibrant. And those are really movies that he's decided. And in a way, it's a good decision, I guess, career-wise at the moment. But long-term, it's not. Where his acting is no longer acting. He's a daredevil. Yeah. And he's doing all these stunts and they have to, he has to one-up himself every time out. And by the way, as he's doing it, he's aging and that becomes harder to do. And that takes a physical toll on you. And it, you know, he's, he's almost like evil Knievel without the, the sort of, uh, you know, drunken daredevil uh, label put on him. But people want the hearkening back to Tom Cruise of the eighties and nineties. I mean, Tom Cruise was the biggest movie star in the world. And it's not even close at that point. And he's not anymore. And we don't have anything that replaced that. Not even Leo DiCaprio replaced that. Um, and so this movie, the idea that Tom Cruise, I mean, I don't know what you're screening, if it was the same as mine, but there's Tom Cruise introduces the movie. Like oh, as Tom Cruise. We didn't have that. So we, at my theater, I'm sitting there and like Tom Cruise is on screen, just stand, sitting there. And he introduces the movie and he says, you know, thank you for coming. We made this for you. It's about the fans. And the funny part is, is that he looks like, you know, he's at a funeral home and they just woke him up out of a coffin. He, he, he looks like two million years old. And then you go to the movie and it's like he's got better lighting and everything. But it's just that idea of like the nostalgia for that cultural clarity of storytelling clarity in terms of you know, good versus evil, the Manichaean thing, but also the cultural clarity of like, ah, oh, yeah, Tom Cruise has a movie out this weekend. I'm going to go see it. Now that hasn't happened where Mission, he's Mission Impossible. You say, we'll go see a Mission Impossible movie. Tom Cruise is in it. But like, did you go see Oblivion? <laughs> you know, uh, or I did. Or, I did. <laughs> did you, but you know what I mean? Like people aren't like running out <laughs> to see a movie because Tom Cruise is in it. It's got to have more to it. It, it, It's which is what Top Gun and Mission Impossible are about. They bring history with them. So my issue with the movie is that taking Tony Scott out of it, he he killed himself in 2012. So he can't really direct very well anymore. Um, But this movie sort of loses its cultural cachet. It's, it's, it's power because it's so generic in many ways. And they do all the stunts and all the stuff and they put all the cameras on the, the, you know, the Navy planes and it's all the stuff, but it's still just a stretched out movie, which I, I, I want to look this up right now. Um, this movie runs. I think two hours, uh, 14 minutes or something. Yeah. Two hours, 11 minutes. And the original Top Gun ran uh, one hour and 50 minutes, right? And you could, I I don't know how you feel about it. This movie could have done without that 21 minutes, that extra 21, 31 minutes. Let's let's pivot from that because that goes into a major question I had with the movie. And And before I get to that point, I don't think you're wrong, but I think the take of why everyone's responding to the movie i think your your points are more subconscious i think people are dying for something fun 
and that they can just enjoy without feeling guilty. And I think that's that is the A1, 2, and 3 of why this movie is doing so well. But in terms of the length, I actually came out of the movie saying, I think they could have added another 15 to 20 minutes and made a better movie than they did. The reason I said that is, is I can't decide to ascribe more of the fault to the writer or to the director. But this movie, if you're watching the editing, it is so fast and not fast tony scott fast not mtv fast right it, it is like someone says a line and they edit to the response there's no subtext there's no moment for like something to build it's just literally and i'm talking about the the human character interactions not some of the sequences with the action they had the right build and they you know made the oh i thought that was going this way but now there's a new problem oh gosh now my you know, i'm sitting on the edge of my seat that was done well but between the people you know, when you first meet them and trying to figure out who's alpha, who's not, who's going to be against who, that stuff was so poorly done. I was like, wow, this is like a disaster. And it never allowed you to connect with the characters. I mean, number one, you don't remember any of the names of any of the characters outside no. of maybe Rooster, who is Goose's son, and they spend so much time on. But this movie was so confused as to the focus and so I think the I think my guess is the original edit was longer and the studio forced him to cut it down and the error in cutting it down. I think you're right that it would have been a better movie. It would have been closer to the original running length. But then you have to cut out entire subplots, which clearly they weren't willing to do. So if you have to keep all the subplots, you have to err on making the movie longer. And I'm going to point out number one, two and three. What's wrong with the movie in terms of subplots? The Jennifer Conley subplot is 100% waste in this movie. It adds nothing to the movie. It doesn't really work. It's distracting. It cuts away time from the rest of the build. And if you want to get down to the original, you just needed to kill that whole subplot. And if you wanted that in, then you need to make it a bigger movie. And I can I can keep talking, but I'll let you respond to that first. Yeah, you know, I, I actually... Uh... Okay, you're going to disagree with me. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's funny because, I mean, yes, you're right. Um, the Jennifer Connelly subplot in which she plays, I have to get this character's name right. Um, oh, because you're going to be looking at characters this whole pot because nobody remembers any of yeah. the characters in this. So part. she's Penny Benjamin. Oh, yeah, Penny. Now, here's, here's something that you may not know because I just watched the other Top Gun the other day, so I knew this. Penny Benjamin is referenced in the first movie. That's who Tom Cruise is. She's the admiral's daughter that Tom Cruise it's is messing around with. Yep. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, there's Penny Benjamin. Now, we have to say a few things, and I'll tell a few stories about Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly um, looks amazing in this movie. Yep. Absolutely beautiful. And she's actually, for what she's given, she's quite good in it. Correct. Well, she's um, a great actress, or at least a very good is. actress. You know. Yeah. And, and she's beautiful, and she does what she does with it. She's got a spark in her eye, which is great. The funny thing is, is that Tom Cruise does not. He's just a, There's no chemistry between these two. None. And Jennifer's bringing everything she's got. And Tom is just... It, first of all, his face is weird. I don't know what he's doing. I He's 60. He's in great shape. Let's not kid ourselves. But, like, 
whatever he's doing with his face is is weird because he's both bloated and puffy and yet contorted and like you're just like what tom what are you what's going on buddy like what's happening with your face um the whole relationship thing though <clears throat> because they want to sort of recreate the cheese of the first movie they need this relationship thing but like he's 60 and you know then they have to somebody's got to have a kid and it's like oh jesus and it's like such empty calories just coming at you where it's like what are we doing but here's the other thing and this is an important point it's not empty though it's wasted like yes it doesn't like if i want a donut i'm gonna enjoy the donut but i know i shouldn't have the donut that's not what this subplot is this subplot's like okay i got turkey stuffing this why the heck did someone drop a lemon meringue pie next to me i'm not it doesn't go with this i might like it on its own but that doesn't belong with this thing that that's what this addendum was in this movie well, it, and the, the other thing that makes it so striking, so the, the Penny Benjamin, they have a history, they sort of wink and, you know, look at each other with their history. And eventually they, you know, spoiler alert, they they go to bed together. But it's it's like the most sort of uh, generic, uh, you know, just completely sterile uh scene where they just cut to them post coitus in bed jennifer conley has the covers basically but here's the thing all the other characters these young top gun pilots these sort of big dicks right swaggering around town none of them try to sleep with the phoenix the female top gun and she doesn't try to sleep with any of them it's like they're just completely devoid of any sexual urge or or uh you know biological feelings it's bizarre and then you don't you you get like the most uh basic background on all these characters same with the jennifer conley character and then it's just thrown together like oh here we go but it's just tom cruise just everybody's there to work off of Tom Cruise. And it reminds me of the end of the last, I think it was the last Mission Impossible movie. Tom Cruise at the end is in a, in a hospital bed and he's surrounded by all his co-stars. And it's like the scene from uh, Lord of the Rings, like, you know, Frodo's dying or whatever. <laughs> They're all like, he, he lives in the movie, of course, because Tom Cruise can't die in movies. But it's just like, they're all like worshiping this Christ figure and I'm like, God, this is embarrassing. And it's the same thing here. The same thing. Anyway. So the, I mean, Jennifer Conley, the the reason that you like those scenes is because it's as close to human connection that there is in the movie. Yes. Yeah. That's the reason. And it's all on Jennifer's back. The rest of the scenes, John Hamm and the other uh, captain, talk oh, about Jesus. talk about a disaster ed oh. harris total waste and then the collection of new pilots could not be more poorly put together more poorly shown more poorly like let me walk through how parts of the first one right so let's take a look at this you have you know tom cruise is the hot shot up and comer he's going to come show everyone what to do 
you have Iceman, who's clearly the better pilot. And it's like he's coming gunning for his spot. And it's two macho men going at it. And then you have Goose that trusts Maverick and realizes he's really good at something, but he doesn't have enough of a backbone. But like he'll go to die with his friend. And so it's this like friendship and loyalty. You have all these subtext between how these characters interact. Fast forward to Maverick. They literally, everyone's alpha. So they all graduated Top Gun. So they're all the best pilots in the world. Just that's what we said. It's just like what they did in Star Wars. The best pilot in the universe. Do we have to show it? No, we're just going to say it. And then everyone's going to believe they're all equal. All whatever 12 pilots. Nobody's any better. The, I can't remember the actor's name, but he plays the cockiest pilot. Oh, uh, Glenn Powell, I believe. Yeah, they spend so much time on that character that you're like, oh, this is the new Iceman. This is this right. is this yes. is this is gonna be, you know, Goose's son, Rooster, and yeah. this dude are gonna be going at it. And, and this dude and his call sign is Hangman. And, yeah. and hang and Hangman in the movie is so superior to everybody but Tom Cruise. It's not even close. There is not, it's not like Iceman and you know Maverick that are like neck and neck and you're not sure and who's gonna like this guy is the class of the entire organization. And so when it comes, spoiler alert, when they're gonna name him, he gets left off. He doesn't even get to go on. <laughs> and you're like, well, right. this is now just dumb because we've spent so much time, like, yeah, he's a little bit of a hothead. Yeah, he's a little bit, but you're like, that's what Maverick is. That's how Maverick became a great pilot. And <laughs> they're like, no, Tom Cruise shouldn't be good to go because he mirrors this guy, but then they choose Tom Cruise to go on the thing. It's like, what what were we spending the time on these scenes for? Right. Like, I don't even yeah. understand the, the, what's the lady's name, her call sign. She gets picked to be the wingman. And I'm like, Phoenix. Yeah, that's Phoenix. Yeah. None of that. Her and her co-pilot, they weren't like even in, they weren't even developed. They just get picked. I'm kind of like, who? I'm like, they're in the main squad. I'm like, what, what's going on? <laughs> it, it is, and it is so bizarre. And it is so like, I remember the setup you know, they had in the original, they had the setup of people kind of like freezing up and you got to, you know, knock them out of it. And do you have the the steel, yeah. the mental steel to go through? And it was like yeah. built up and it was terrifying when the guy froze up and they're yeah. flying upside down. They're trying to like, you know, wake him out of it. They're trying to grab, like there was real concern. And this one rooster keeps going slow because he's nervous. Let, let me say that again. He flies too slow because he's nervous. That's the tension. <laughs> And I'm like, here's the thing, and it's, (laughs) it's this is a great point because you pointed out in the first one, and it and it happens to Maverick as well. But in in the opening part, there's a guy who just he freezes up because he's scared, right? And like he he can't. And and by the way, Maverick. But was was Maverick in the lead, or was he not in the lead yet? Didn't didn't the guy that froze up wasn't he the lead pilot? Yes, he was. He was yeah. the lead pilot that no, was supposed so to go to top. Tom Cruise had yeah. to climb a ladder. In this movie, everyone's already exactly. at the top. There's no growth. There's nowhere to go for these characters, except they have to learn how to fly and faster. Cru- <laughs> and Cruise, uh, Maverick is the one who helps the guy who's freezing up. I can't remember his call sign. Yeah. He helps him land on the, pl- on the aircraft carrier. Now, in this movie, something sort of similar happens in that but it has nothing to do with emotional or mental turmoil. No. The guy blacks out because 
he was going 10 G and all the blood was sucked out of his brain and he just passed out. And that's the fear. It has nothing to do with like, Oh, I have to overcome something. No, no, it's a physical overcoming of like, I'm going to make sure the blood doesn't rush from my head. (laughs) I'm going to win. And of course, Maverick helps him overcome that. But it's so interesting that dichotomy between those two things, because it says so much about what worked about the original movie and what doesn't, in my opinion, what doesn't work in this one. But it's but this, that this, those this, things. It's not even a comparison to movies. This this mimics to what modern filmmaking has come, where there is no like it's just the little things. And let me let me give it a good point because I think I'm focusing too much on the negative because the the some of those flight sequences are just beyond words like they were so fun to watch and they were so well executed and guess what there was a whole story arc in those okay we're going to go in here's where the point happens something changes we have to pivot to this okay then we did that oh no now we've run out of these things okay we have this as a backup oh good we're clear oh my gosh there's an outside thing that came in and you just it keeps ratcheting and building and building and building and building and you're like oh my god how are they ever going to come across and they cut back to the people and it's just nothing there's app like it's like they took everything into the flight sequences and nobody paid attention to the script or coaching actors in this other section and it just it, it is so different between the two and i'm like they understood it for the, the the flight sequences but i don't understand how they're so clueless in the interpersonal relationships and by the way the reason that scenes work and the reason that people want to go see tom cruise again in this role is because they were connected with the characters. Who does not remember Tom Cruise walking up to Goose, who's playing yep. the piano, and you know Meg Ryan sits on his lap, and you see this guy who's a family man, and you see this you know playboy young guy that's all hot to trot, and this dichotomy of like he has to hold his friend's entire life, his wife, his kid in his hands from this one scene. It's all yep. there. I get goosebumps thinking about it now. You're like. It, it they don't even have to spell all, it out. Yep, it's just right there. there. And he's just staring. And when she's like, take care of him, you know the weight that carries. And now if he already has the tendency to potentially freeze up, that's that's a weight that a lot of people can't muster. So that that's a big and none of those, none of these big issues, no, it was just can you go? And I just love I mean, even when they changed it and they're like, Okay, we're gonna fly slower, so now you might be shot down. Like it all of it was just it was like told and then it was like dismissed and it wasn't ever yeah. like they, what they should have done is not talked about that earlier so when they changed it you didn't understand and then they realize there is no way to fly this that slow and escape and then you realize that the military was going to send him in on a suicide mission and not tell them and now how are they going to get out of it like like there's ways to do this man <laughs> But right. they just they just didn't do any of it. I didn't connect with the characters. I didn't feel for them. And even I think there's a great, great scene at the end. And I guess I should re- reiterate, this is definitely a big spoiler. Um, you maybe don't see it coming in the movie, but uh, uh, so turn it off now. Ready? In three, two, one. Tom Cruise gets shot down. What? And against against company policy by the way this movie also shows how many pilots would be court-martialed and kicked out of the air force because nobody like and i also want to know how they steal planes but there's lots yeah. of questions oh, on that that's front. that's my favorite part is how they could just steal planes yeah but 
he goes back to save rooster goes back to save tom cruise and then he gets shot down and they have this bizarre scene where tom cruise is running through the forest that oh, almost God. almost looked like something out of a wes anderson movie i was laughing <laughs> like i started laughing the scene like too. this is so too. weird yeah and then they have this interaction but because there's been no building of any sort of tension between these two characters like they keep telling us there's tension but it, it isn't manifested where I care about it. There was a funny exchange between the two of them. I was like, this is good. Like this, like this couple line banter works, but it totally doesn't make sense. Totally doesn't make sense in the movie. Doesn't totally make sense what came before it, what came after it. Like if you just edited that scene, you're like, this scene works. We were like, who was paying attention to the broader movie? Cause it didn't make sense in the rest of it. And if that scene worked as well, how the hell did you not have several more of those scenes peppered throughout the movie to like set up this you know this whole crux of the movie of goose's son and, and maverick and can they can they get along hey i just thought of something that i i literally had, had when i was watching the movie it never occurred to me so miles teller his rooster yep goes back to save tom cruise yep. maverick and then he himself gets shot down. Yep. So did his does his spotter die? No. Well, they don't address it because he just it was like it was it was Harrison Ford in uh, Star Wars <laughs> when he comes back to like shoot off and kind of send Darth Vader on a spiral. Yeah. Rooster just comes back out of nowhere, shoots him down, and then gets shot down. Like there's no explanation. Did he leave his guy? Did his guy get shot down? It was just basically they abandoned. Again, none of the other people in this movie matter. So when it, you need to explain it, you just cut it out. Like there's no, nobody, they don't care. We don't care. None of that matters. No, well, I'm trying to remember now. But I saw it yesterday. It's funny. I can't even remember this. Because did you, you have... aren't supposed to pay attention to these characters. That's why. <laughs> but did they have two people? They had two people in each plane, right? Yeah. No, each plane only had one person. We, we lost no because the no because the dude bob was in phoenix's plane was he what yeah well, remember tom... he was like whoa he was going whoa what's happening was you tom know? cruise and alone then was he the tom only cruise flying? was alone yeah he was that alone. makes no sense yeah Maybe, I, don't I don't know i can't remember but anyway the, the point and i wanted to bring this up it's when he brought it up so after Tom Cruise gets shot down, um, and of course lives, um, Miles Teller gets shot down. It basically, because Cruise refuses to let himself die in his movies, um, these, that, at that point, this movie turned into a Rambo movie. It was just like, it, it, oh, okay, this is ridiculous. Okay, got it. This I is mean, not based in the real world. Which of course it isn't really, but we play, we pretend it is. Yeah. Up until that point, and then you're just like, oh, oh, I get it. So now we're just saying batshit crazy things, and anything goes at this point. Okay, got I mean, it. It, it did when when they're running across the enemy battlefield, and they're there. It wasn't to hide. It wasn't to blend in. How to not get noticed was just to run faster. <laughs> like I, I'm just like, oh, that seems like sound logic. Okay. I'm, and here's I'm the other thing it. that that was killing me because i just found it so funny so there there are all these serious scenes with john ham vice admiral bo cyclone simpson 
He's commander of naval air forces. And he's telling them about the mission that they have to do. Very important mission. And they go into elaborate detail about this mission, about this this ravine they have to fly through and fly. It's like, you know, crazy. Um, and it's also basically the uh, narrative of the first Star Wars movie. They have to blow up the Death Star. It's almost, you know, shot for shot, the same thing. So they're telling them that. Not once do they ever say what country it is that, that they have to attack. Never in the film is it identified who they're fighting. And it's so weird to me. But then I thought like, oh, well, you know, Russians have movie theaters too. You know, like, like they got to show the movie everywhere. It can't be China. I don't, I, I guess you could do Iran. I don't imagine Iran has a, a very, you know, uh, big support of the Top Gun movies, but it's so weird. They never, ever, ever identify the enemy. It's just this nameless, faceless, uh, you know, it's like these orcs or something. That, <laughs> like they just grow out of the earth and they have to blow them up. It's so weird. It's bizarre to me. Who did you think the enemy was, Barry? The enemy was good filmmaking. But let's, but, but I want to focus on some of the good stuff because, again, almost all of my problems stemmed from, again, writing, directing, acting, and the character development. The part that worked was the part that you talked about Tom Cruise moving into. How they shot this movie, the cameras, I mean, you, they brought you a new experience that you've never felt before. And that was part of what worked in the original Top Gun is, you know, they they had all this incredible footage of actual, you know, F-14s flying around. And it was like yeah. you got to be like a kid, you know, in a giant toy. And you were like, wow, this is amazing. And they kind of made it feel like it wasn't cheating. You know, it felt like as real as you could get. And then watching this movie, then you're like, not only did they not cheat, there were so many long shots that you're like, holy crap, you could see it on their face. You could see the way their bodies react. And you're like, this is, this is not movie magic. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, like a, yeah. this is Red Bull on Elon Musk's super powered <laughs> Mamba Jamba juice. And it was, I think oftentimes people think that's enough. Oh, if we just put them in a jet, it'll be interesting. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, it's not that interesting. But then how they crafted them um, uh, in terms of, uh, one second, the, how would I state it? They put it in movie terms. Like they gave you the consequences. They gave you the plan. They gave you twists and turns. And I'm telling you, when they went over, you know, they talked about the whole run. They're going to fly along and they're going to do this and then they're going to flip over and they're going to do the impossible, they're going to do the impossible climb. Then they have to do this like whole thing, right? And so you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is going to work. And there are twists and turns during that whole sequence. Then on top of that, once they get to like the impossible, you know, where this is where they're likely to be shot down, they added more stuff to screw it up. And so you were just right. like, at one point they cut to this wide shot so effectively where you just see it was almost like the sky was blowing up and you're just like holy crap like i don't even understand how you execute something like this because you're just like they are doing the impossible 
like these are like superhero it to me it epitomized what the fast and the furious has wanted to do in terms of being like we want to be real life superheroes in a car and we want you to believe wink wink but they've went over into campy land and it's ridiculous at that point in the movie you were like these are human superheroes and what they're doing is just incredible and you were just like in awe of everything and i was like this this is what you made this film for this is what you know people have been waiting 30 years for this and this is where they've delivered hook line and sinker and you're like yes take my money and i'm happy that you did and i don't know if you agree but i i was just blown away by those sequences and how well they were executed especially when sandwiched up against the bizarre lack of human connection right did you see it on imax i did yeah, I didn't see it on IMAX. Um, I, I was less impressed with it than you were in terms of that stuff. But I, I just read that uh, they shot 800 hours of footage for the movie, which exceeded the combined footage shot for all of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Think about that. Those Lord of the Rings movies, I think that's roughly nine hours of movie yeah. that was on screen. And this movie, you know, just a little over two hours, they shot 800 hours. I mean, that's incredible. And, you know, I, I do appreciate that uh, commitment to shooting the way they did with the planes and the actors being in the planes and basically directing themselves. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. But I would it would it would have been so much more satisfying if it stayed attached like the first film did stayed attached to reality in the sense that I, people I could, I and, and by reality I just I just mean like a grounded reality of like people can actually die you know so what if what if in this movie rooster stuff and comes back to save Maverick and he gets shot down and then he and his partner have to eject and his partner suffers the same fate as his dad did. Correct. Right? All of a sudden that meeting up with Cruz with Maverick on the ground takes on a whole lot of different meaning. You know, it's a little more complicated. The problem um, is, is I, saw to I saw Top Gun for a friend's 13th birthday party. And I think it was the first time I remember crying at a movie and it was Goose's death scene. The only reason yeah. that a thirteen-year-old cries at a at a movie like that is if you cared about Goose. Yeah. And let me tell you, I did not care about Rooster's partner. If that scene would have happened, I'd have been like, "Oh, okay, he's now gone." Like you know, you, you had to build the character in this movie. It's like it wanted to serve too many masters. It want like obviously it was. Yeah, yeah, all about Tom Cruise, but we need to have the love interest. So we're distracted there. We want to have this dynamic story between Rooster and, you know, him and that. And then you want to have the you know conflict between Rooster and Hangman and then this whole other gang of people. And it was just like, who am I supposed to care about? Like, you know, it's like right when I'm starting to get invested in something, then it's like, oh, OK, well, Hangman's going to be cool. Well, he's not even going on the mission. OK, why well, was I even invested in him now? I'm like, you know, I'm confused. John, ha John Hamm is like ready to like, you know, roast tom cruise why does he switch 
you know, his like, you're like, well, then was he really that against him to begin with? Because you honestly right. believed the dude that wanted to destroy Tom Cruise in the original one. Like he didn't get one over till the very, very end after he saw like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, they basically pulled off the impossible. He was a right. tough, tough nut. And like too many of these things are easy. And it was just too, I mean, when Tom Cruise flies to prove that it can be done, I mean, the whole thing was preposterous. Like from the beginning, you're like, why doesn't Tom Cruise just fly this mission? It was so obvious. And then the fact that he never ran the, the thing to show him it could be done. You know, you're like, right. that, that has to come after you steal it. To, like, it just felt too weirdly ill thought out. But I mean, I, if you watch the original, when I watched the original, probably, I don't remember within the last year, I had forgotten just how much the um, love interest, like that was 50% of that movie. Oh yeah. yeah. And I did not like it. Like it didn't, it wasn't compelling to me. That wasn't the part that I was connected to. I was never like, yay them or like, oh, this is some hot, you know, kind of fling that they're on. It was, it was neither to me. It wasn't a commitment. It wasn't a fling. It was just kind of like, okay, I'm just kind of annoyed that we keep coming back to this. I want to go back to the people I care about. And this, so that was just like one subplot I didn't like, but everything else I did like in the original. This movie, it was like, I like the action sequences, but everything else was kind of a disaster. And so it like took a step back. And again, you had 30 years to think about this. 30 years. How do you not well, come up with any story structure? Right. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's bizarre to me. But I don't want to yell about the movie because of the fact that like, this is the movie that's reminding people that it's worth going to a theater that there's value in sitting in a theater with like hundreds of people screaming and yelling and enjoying yourself, that that's a part of human connection that we need. And you're like, ah, oh. <laughs> I mean, it, it's something. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's another thing we didn't talk about about the original compared to this one is that even in the original, the love story is very uh, loaded. So Tom Cruise in the original is, he hits on this woman at a bar, they all sing, blah, blah, blah. And he finds out it's his boss, basically. And he ends up having a relationship with, you know, sort of his boss. Um, so it's a complicated thing. And in this one, the relationship is just sort of as, as standard and generic movie thing. Oh, here's this girl I used to date. Here we are all these years later. Oh boy. But there's no sort of stakes in it. Whereas like in, in the original, there was a danger in that, like for both of them, like, Oh, this, this is not a good idea, but we're still going to do it. Um, but I think you're right in terms of just developing the characters and having a more sort of coherent um, storyline to it. And, and the day, the fact that like nobody can die in the movie really sets it back. I mean, the, the thing about the first one, of course, is Goose dies. There's this guy that you have grown attached to that you like. He's a funny guy and he dies. And, you know, there's a, a character in this movie, Bob, who's, you know, slightly amusing and, um, you know, doesn't have much screen time, but he's funny. 
he could have been the new goose, right? Like, but but, but I the feel fact like that, that everybody survives this this Star Wars Death Star attack just makes I, it seem so cheesy and frivolous and and meaningless. You know, like, I was I was has duped. skin in the game. I was duped. There was a moment in the movie that I'm like, oh my gosh, Tom Cruise is going to allow himself to be killed off in this movie. Like, I that's what I was hoping. There, yeah. there, there was a part I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, he's going, he's literally going to change the narrative about him with this. And then, and then yeah. after the scene where they both crashed and he was running through the forest, I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. Uh, <laughs> they lost their moment where that could have been something. Yeah, but the, it, I, I don't disagree with that. But to me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. It this scene showed just how bad the direction was, and to some extent how bad the character development was, and to another degree how bad the acting was. When Tom Cruise steals the plane to make this run to show that it can be done and under the time that nobody else could do it, do you remember the scene? When when he steals the plane. When he steals the plane, so he's he's flying it, and everyone's watching. Oh yeah, yeah. Him. So they're all, yeah, they're all gathered around watching. All they're all gathered around plane. watching. And uh, so Maverick, was, you don't have clearance for yeah. this. Well, it, it and not the people yelling, like <laughs> talking about the main stars of the movie, the, the all these Top yeah. Gun pilots. Yeah. I was like, are we watching Blues Clues? Because he <laughs> hits that green square, and the time clock starts running, and we're on Tom Cruise for I don't know 15, 20 seconds of this. You could tell that Tom Cruise was getting his butt handed to him by this fighter pilot flying in front of him. His face is peeled back and he's grunting and groaning as they're slamming through this. And you cut back and literally there was three or four cutaways, including, I don't know the African-American general's name. That was the sidekick to John Hamm. But like it was three or four shots in a row with people sitting forward, like they were becoming engaged. And I'm like, are you kidding me? all the same choice the editor picked four people leaning forward all the actors are like oh, the only way i can show that i'm engaged is leaning forward you cut back to tom cruise and literally he's getting kicked around somewhere and you come back and you see people start to smile like oh my gosh he could do it and you had the again whatever the hangman guy he just looks like a pompous ass like he's expecting Tom Cruise to go through and do this. And he's the only one that figured it out ahead of time. And I'm like, but why? Like he should be the person that's like, I'm better than you are. And then when Tom Cruise shows him away, then it's like a little bit of humility. Like I just, I mean, I didn't understand any of these things, but that whole sequence, how they cut it, it was like a bad Disney movie about, a. Uh, a wannabe basketball team that is coming up and some everybody in the stands are like they start to clap and then you cut to another one they start to clap that's exactly how it's seen and like these are world-class pilots that have graduated they're not going to be that like childish in the reactions to the sequence and i just it it cheapened that whole sequence and i'm like oh can we just cut out the people in this movie can we just have planes flying around that was the that was by far the best part of the movie yeah, it, you know, I was. I, I would agree with that. Um, so I have a question for you. Uh, and, and this is a spoiler question. So again, to avoid spoilers, please, uh, please tune out. I think we need to talk about Val Kilmer. Um, what did you think 
of the Val Kilmer cameo and that storyline. I didn't mind the storyline, and this is going to sound, by the way, I am a gargantuan Val Kilmer fan. Love it. Loved him as Iceman, loved him in Tombstone, loved him in, you know, uh, the Salton Sea. Like, I just love, I mean, I loved him, frankly, back from Real Genius. Uh, and even better, if you want to go deep in the catalog, I love Top Secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I'm I'm a big fan. His... I loved him in The Lion in the Darkness. Michael Douglas. I'll tell my Val Kilmer okay. story later, but you go ahead. Yeah. This being said, his best scene by far was one of the OTS of the text chat with Tom Cruise. There, I can't remember what the term was, but it was something, and I laughed, and I could just see, hear, and feel Val Kilmer delivering it through the text. Right. I was like, wow, like just because you knew who he was and you had all that pent up, it translated in a text. And I was like, that's impressive. So right. you, you had that. And I've, I've, I've watched the Val Kilmer documentary, so I'm familiar with how he looks and how he sounds and all that sort of stuff. So I think to a lot of people who haven't seen that, I, I wonder what that would be like seeing him now for the first time. Um, so I think I'm, I probably have a different reaction. Um, I, it didn't hold the emotional weight that it should have. It felt a little too light, um, in my opinion. And it was like, you know, he was just kind of pointing, you know, he types in a couple things and then Tom Cruise is saying stuff and he just kind of keeps like pointing to the monitor. Yes. I typed that a while ago. Read it again. They should read it again. Why don't you read it one more time? And then Tom Cruise finds like, Oh yes. And then they stand up and then they start talking. And then I'm like, I know that he said it was hard for him to talk, but why was he not talking? There was, there was just some confusion as to why they chose to do it the way they did. But I felt like it needed to be in the movie, but it is as far away from the doc holiday scene when he's in his deathbed talking to, to uh, Kurt Russell about seeing his feet, you know, that's a poignant, you know, kind of lifelong friendship that, you know, is at its, at its end of its journey. I did not get that same emotional impact outside of, I liked seeing him in the movie. Cause I'd also, I mean, for everything we're talking about in modern times, why not cast someone who at his age going through what he's done, doesn't look the same, doesn't sound the same you know, is lost part of what we would associate with him, the person. But when he looks mm -hmm. in the mirror, he's still Val Kilmer. Why are we diminishing that? So I, I liked that they injected that, but I just don't think it worked as well as it could have. If a better director. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm a huge Val Kilmer fan as well. I've spoken, I think I've spoken about it on the podcast. Um, I, I did a thing with him years ago and uh, he was sort of, he had a very bad reputation for being an asshole. Um, and I found that not to be the case, quite the opposite, actually. He was incredibly nice guy to me and he didn't have to be. And we actually hung out for a bit and, um, just shot the shit and totally cool guy, great guy. And so I've always liked him. Um, and I've seen the documentary about his cancer and everything. I have a friend who had the same exact cancer um very similar circumstances um who oddly enough was it was me and my friend who were with val kilmer the day we shot that thing and um 
the three of us hung out together. So it's just weird that two of those three people got the same exact cancer and uh, had to have this awful surgery and all these things. So I was glad to see Val Kilmer. I'm, I'm glad he's in the movie and I'm glad that like they addressed his health issue that like they weren't pretending it wasn't there. And I like that. Um, and when Val spoke, I'd be interested to see if that was actually him speaking or if, if like in the documentary, you know, his son, yeah, I uh, I, I, I think it was his son because it did not have the same gravelly. Like I yeah. think he I think he mouthed the words and then they patched something that sounded a little bit more palatable. Um, yeah, it, it, that's how it felt to me. I could be wrong, but that's that's how I perceived it when I watched it. So did I. That that was the same for me. Um, but I, I have to say, it felt super uncomfortable and exploitative to me when his character dies because it didn't need to happen really to tell the story forward and I mean I, I was talking with my wife afterwards and, and we were both agreeing on this point and she's like yeah it almost felt like you know Tom Cruise had his fingers crossed and of course this is not true but you know Tom Cruise the producer had his fingers crossed oh I hope Val Kilmer dies before opening day, you know, um, then, it, then that would really help the marketing. You know, it, it felt like that to me and it kind of grossed me out. Um, because I like Val as a person, I like him as an actor and, you know, and, and being, you know, very close with people who've gone through that same exact thing. Yeah. I just really, that made me super uncomfortable. and it turned me even more against the film um, than I had been turned <laughs> by just the dialogue. Um, so, it, and, and the scene itself I, that he's in, I actually liked. I, I thought it was a good scene, but I just thought like, oh man, you, you know, uh, you don't need that. In fact, you could have a scene after all is said and done instead of these ridiculous, again, people cheering and carrying Tom cruise on their shoulders as it gets out of a plane you just cut to Iceman, you know at home feeling terrible he's he's you know on death's door and what happens he gets a note oh they did it smile right cut. Yeah, I, I i think it was <laughs> it was it was lazy they went for an emotional thing that didn't need to be there and when i watched it it didn't bother me as much but i think at that point i had resolved they were taking every easy route and they needed yeah, the route yeah. of getting Iceman out to protect him so that he could have a downfall. And what they should have said is that he basically was forced into retirement due to his health where he didn't die, but he's just no right. longer there. Like that would have been more. And then Iceman would have been validated when he's like, you know, the Navy needs you. Then right. at the end, you're like Iceman, same way. I'll be your wingman anytime. He was still being Tom Cruise's wingman. And now exactly. you get that poignant moment where you're like, even through all of this, they're still connected. And you're like, yeah, but by, by removing him, I think they, they went for the cheap one and they missed out on a much bigger, more connective one, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It's just one of those things that just sort of rub me the wrong way. And sometimes stuff like that can really scuttle the ship of a, of a film. Um, another point I want to make in, uh, is uh, Jennifer Connelly. Now, Jennifer Connelly, uh, 
Here's my Jennifer Connelly story. So Jennifer Connelly was my neighbor in Brooklyn, New York, um, when I lived there. And <laughs> she used to, in a very small neighborhood in Brooklyn, and she used to work out at this very small boutique gym that I used to work out at. And uh, so I would see her quite a bit. And <laughs> she had just married Paul Bettany at the time. And we were in this gym. And again, it's a very small gym. And we're the only three people in the gym. And, you know, I'm, I'm lifting weights. They're doing whatever the hell they're doing. And I had to go to their corner of the gym where they were to get uh, these, these uh, dumbbells. And I walked by them and I almost fell over how much they smelled. They stunk of garlic. Like just, it was just covering the whole room. Like, I don't know if they're afraid of vampires or what, but it, it was like they had just rubbed garlic all over themselves. And then the other, the other insane thing, which I've never seen before or since. And I go to, I've been going to gyms, you know, all my adult life. Um, I'm working out and I, I look over and Paul Bettany is running on a treadmill, like running. And Jennifer Connelly is standing on the side of the treadmill and he is contorting his body. He's running and yet contorting to the side. And they're making out. <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in a gym. And if you go to a gym enough, you see a lot of weird things. It was so bizarre. And I was like, what the hell is happening? And then, and I think she had just had a baby or something like that. She was a beautiful woman. I mean, she's gorgeous. Um, but it was just so bizarre. That's my Jennifer Connelly story. So I think it's important for people to know. I, I literally think as you were telling that story, everybody was thinking the same thing you were. This is the weirdest thing they've ever heard on a podcast. <laughs> it's so bizarre. This it never happened before, nor will it ever happen again. <laughs> and my my now wife was with me at the time uh, when, with the running part. And both of us what is going on? But so it's important to know that this movie, Top Gun Maverick, which is the number one movie in the nation and I think the world, um, everybody's talking about it. Critics love it. Audiences love it. Well, I have very intimate relationships with two people in this movie. Val Kilmer, who's, who's my best friend, and Jennifer Conley, who's my workout buddy. Um, and we'd occasionally be at the same coffee shop as well. Um, yeah, so that's important for everybody to know, even though I still think the movie is not very good. Um, but there, so that's those are my stories. My Jennifer Conley and Val Kilmer stories. Which the Jennifer Conley story is just, I, I just wish, like, I, I didn't have an iPhone at the time. I wish I had an iPhone. Uh, I don't even know if they were invented yet. And uh, I don't think they were. But if I, I wish I could have gotten video of that. Just the weirdest, strangest thing I've ever seen. But I guess it's one way good. to motivate your husband to work out. I'll come stand next to you when you're on the treadmill. But she's good in this movie. And she's a beautiful yes. woman. And, and the, her whoever did her makeup should be nominated. I mean, she's her eyes look fantastic in this movie. She's I think she's a little too skinny, quite frankly. Like scary skinny. But um, it's the garlic. she's very good at it. The garlic cake. I think she eats too much damn garlic. And let's talk about John Hamm for a second. Um, what the hell? What the hell? Why? How does this guy have a career? I, what is happening? 
What is this guy's problem? My my one. I don't understand how John Hamm is like. Hey, I'm John Hamm. I'm gonna be in a movie. I'm doing a, a, a an insurance commercial. I was in you know a TV show. It's like this guy's terrible. He's terrible. I, I've literally said this my entire life because I do not understand John Hamm, with the exception of he seems to be great in comedies, but he gets cast in these serious roles where he's absolutely forgettable to atrocious to distracting and i'm like why like i never watched mad men was he that good in mad men that would just overlook the rest of his career he's you know what in, in mad men I, he's an empty suit he like he's the suit that he's wearing it's literally what he is in the show you could have gotten uh you know you do a casting call in New York or LA, you could find on that role, right? Just, just like empty suits, like good looking guy in a suit, go for it, man. And so I, I've never understood people being like, oh, he's so great in Mad Men. I'm like, is he? Because he, he really doesn't do anything. He, he's not great in Mad Men. Well, um, the other thing is, is you needed, you needed someone that actually threatened Tom Cruise. Yes, yeah. You know, you know, it would have been a genius casting, which would have never happened. But like, if you want this movie to make a billion dollars within a week, could you imagine if they could have talked Jack Nicholson out of retirement to do the the inverse (laughs) of a few good men and just have him read him the riot act and make the fear of God inside of Tom Cruise. And they paid him like a hundred million dollars for like six days of work. I would have I would have been standing in line opening night to see this movie had it been a scene with Jack Nicholson threatening right. Tom Cruise. And I think that was a horribly missed opportunity in my opinion. Oh man. Yeah, I mean Tell me you wouldn't Jack, have Tell me. Oh tell sure, me. sure. I mean Jack's eighty something at this point. But yeah, why not? I mean you throw him in a uniform, let Dude, him do his thing. Do you remember um, Tom Cruise running through the forest in enemy territory? Jack Nicholson still being in the military at like 88 years old would not feel weird in this movie. We, 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 if we're outside of that, bring back Jack. Can we do a petition to the, remember the, what was the, um, Scorsese movie a couple years ago, um, on Netflix, uh, the departed. No. Uh, um, Oh, that, well, that, Oh yeah. Uh, the Irishman. The Irishman. I was wondering if they did that to Cruise in the movie, like trying no. to de-age him or something what like was, that. But what I was going to say uh, is in, in the Irishman, <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, um, what call it? They, uh, uh, oh, now I lost my train of thought. I don't remember what I was going to say. Uh, well, anyway. Oh, oh, and they, oh, no, no, and the, they had De Niro, no, the, 75 year old De Niro playing no, a 25 year old guy trying to kick someone. If we got a petition going, <laughs> it could be like an Irishman meets uh, uh, the Schneider cut, where we go back and just shoot the scenes, get rid of Tom or get rid of John Hamm in the edit, replace him with Jack Nicholson. And two years from now, we can re release this movie, Top Gun Maverick. This time it's personal and, and get Jack in there and you could make another half a billion dollars off this movie just by getting Jack to redo those. Scenes. Here's here's my question. The Schneider cut. Is that is that the, the janitor from one day at a time is, is starring in this movie? The Schneider cut. <laughs> For old people who are old enough to remember, we'll get that joke. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're... <laughs> 
people tuned in to get a, an opinion and now they've just all unsubscribed from our podcast we're going down oh have yeah three listeners yeah. left after this one i think i think what's happened barry is that we hit 10g and then we pushed it a little too yeah, far we, we're, we're and definitely we just crashed and burned yeah yeah but we have tom cruise oh here's the other thing about the movie i have to throw in is that you know and i understand why they have to do this but like it's never a good sign when a movie is showing clips from the earlier movie. Oh my gosh. As if we all <laughs> you know were what, I mean? what scenes were in there. I'm like, you don't need them. By the way, yeah. the other thing that really bothered yeah. me about this movie is the first movie had all these great 80s sounding themes. Yes. Yeah. And this movie literally went to like a professional score for all these. Yeah. And I'm like, why don't we have this like, bumping music that we had in the first one for these dog fights. Why are we in an orchestral score in this one? And I didn't understand that. Yeah, it was weird. That was, was a weird, weird. choice. I, I think part of it could be, you know, a lot has changed since 1986. No, it hasn't. And it's exactly the same. The world hasn't changed one iota. One of the things that's changed has been, uh, you know, the music industry and pop music. Which is you don't, you don't think less, Justin Bieber uh, would 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 deliver the 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 thrilling? I mean, have Kenny Loggins? Well, I saw. Something? I where did I read this? Um, I'm looking right now, actually. The, oh, here it is. The film score was composed by Harold Faltermeyer, Lady Gaga, and Hans Zimmer. Wow, that's a weird trio. Yeah, yeah, and it right. it promoted it 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 was promoted by two singles, "Hold My Hand" by Lady Gaga. And I ain't worried by One Republic. I don't. I don't remember that Gaga I, song. I don't know that song, but I don't remember like you know that in the first one, "Take My Breath Away" yeah. or whatever. Yep. That that was like that was as opposed to Danger Zone. That was that song was the theme of the song in a weird way. And uh, but I don't remember it in, in this. And so, and I don't, I don't mean know. to say that the score was not good. I like the score. It just seemed like there were parts then to inject the music back in like the songs. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I, yeah. it, it would be like someone making Guardians of the Galaxy 4 and going full orchestral with no pop music from any era. And you'd right. be like, wait a minute, didn't didn't we have like Led Zeppelin leading us off into the like <laughs> right. I, like isn't that like how people associate? And I I don't I don't understand that that choice, but again, I'm not the helm of a billion dollar franchise that's going to, you know, shape cinema for the next 10 years. So, you know, don't, don't listen to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm curious. Here's uh, the director, Joseph, Joseph Kaczynski. Yeah. You want to know, um, you want to know how he got this job? Somehow he got to direct oblivion. That's really the only movie he's ever done. Well, he yeah, done. Here's his, his uh, filmography. 2010. He did Tron legacy. That was his directorial debut. In 2013, he did Oblivion, which is based on his own uh, graphic novel. Short, and then Only the Brave, um, 2022. He has another movie coming out this year, Spiderhead, um, which has, who's in this movie? Um, yeah, Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller in this movie. So... I, yeah, I, I mean, this this guy does not exactly strike me as uh, 
<laughs> you know, let's let's watch his work develop. Uh, you know, he's forty eight. He's you know. I'm I'm going to state this. This is as a director. So many times, this is what happens. An actor has an idea for a thing. You talk to your wardrobe person. They have an idea for the thing, and you as a director have to say yes or no. And I can see Miles Teller having this thing and how do we find ways to throw back to my dad Goose and the person's like, I got these designs that are modern, fresh take on, you know, similar patterns and stuff from the eighties, but we'll do it. And they go to the director. He's like, no, I don't like either of those ideas. Let's literally go get Goose's wardrobe. The exact same things he wore. <laughs> and let's just put him on Miles Teller, give him the exact same mustache. And then maybe people will understand that it was Goose's son. And I'm like, boy, this feels awfully on the nose. And it was very strange because yeah. it's like, you didn't need to be like, literally like, is that, I mean, we could play a game on Conan O'Brien. Is it Goose or is it Rooster? And you couldn't necessarily tell which actor it was based on uh, what they show you. And it was like, wow, I don't know why they're going so, so on the nose. Here's another question for you and, and we'll, uh, You know, you get out of here on, on this sort of Simpson. Is that, is it a better have Ed Harris play that role? If it's a better movie, if Ed Harris played uh, John Hamm's role? Or whose role? Yeah, John Hamm's role. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I. <laughs> I don't have any faith in the director. He got no performances out of anybody. I think Jennifer Conley brought her own juice and Tom Cruise does his thing, but nobody else brought anything. So I think Ida Harris would have just been waiting for directorial notes and they wouldn't say anything. He's like, okay, I got a paycheck. I'm going home. I don't think Ed Harris would have delved any deeper than John Hamm did. And I don't think the director was pushing them to get more out of him. So I, I don't, I mean, I like Ed Harris more than I like John Hamm, but I don't think it would have been decisively more dynamic. Yeah. And here's here's a question. You, you know, you know who I would have actually what? cast as opposed to Ed Harris is the actor that plays Mike on uh, Better Call Saul and uh, uh, Breaking Bad. The the hitman, kind of the fixer guy. Like he looks. Oh yeah, yeah. He looks like if Tom Cruise came yeah. bouncing in a room and threatened him, he'd be like, um, the horse head will be in your yeah. bed tonight. You know, you need someone that right. looks like he, he can stand up to him and like, you're a little bit scared. Like Ed Harris is too nice. You know I mean, like, I don't think yeah. Ed Harris is going to punch Tom Cruise. I don't, you know, it's like, you want someone that's like, Ooh, he can go through the back channels and like screw up Tom Cruise's life. You need that sort of, you know, dynamic and they, they, that didn't exist in the movie. Now here's a question. I know this is off the cuff, so you know. Would I recast we Tom Cruise? Another podcast. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Um, what What is your favorite or favorites Tom Cruise movies of all time? I haven't seen Magnolia, so I might be at a disadvantage. Some Some of his movies I've not seen. Um, now are we talking about what I think is a good movie or ones I enjoyed the most of his. Uh, either one. Just if, if somebody says like, "Hey, your your three favorite Tom Cruise movies. What are they?" 
I'd say probably the first Mission Impossible I enjoyed. I think, I mean, potentially Top Gun, because again, I enjoyed it. The one I think that he's underrated for is Tropic Thunder. His performance in Tropic Thunder was just delightful. Did you see Tropic Thunder? I did. I didn't actually like that performance. Really? Yeah, oddly enough. All right. Well, you're wrong. I'm right again. So this is your 0 for 2 today. Uh, <laughs> if you picked your, your top top three favorite. I don't know what, though. I'd have to rethink that because I actually thought Tom Cruise is pretty incredible and collateral. I thought that was. Oh, incredible. yeah, yeah. I that, agree. That, yeah. that, you know, I'd probably have to kick out either mission. I'd probably kick out Top, top Gun because collateral, he was some of those scenes between them. And I'm not the hugest uh, Jamie Foxx fan, but boy, oh, boy, when he was talking about, you know, Jamie Foxx is talking about clean stuff and he had all these plans and he just basically eviscerated him being like, you're going to be nothing. (laughs) You know, you're just going to be stuck here. I mean, those were, those were some scenes where you're just like, whoo, where's, where's more of this please. Um, my favorite, uh, two favorite Tom Cruise movies. The first is the mummy from 2017. No, just stop it. Stop it. Uh, There's no, and nobody and saw rock that of, movie. Rock of ages. From oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I, there, our last three viewers have left. <laughs> back Val Kilmer's still listening, man. Val Kilmer and Jennifer yeah. Connelly are still listening. I, I would put Magnolia in there. Um, I, I mean, I tend not to like the, the sort of cruise movie star thing, but here, here are my three. I'd say The Color of Money, Born on the Fourth of July, and Magnolia would be my top three. And I, those are the three films I think he is the best in, besides being the three best films. We we will save um, for another podcast, but. One of my all-time most traumatizing experiences in life was watching Born on the Fourth of July. So I have no perspective on that movie whatsoever. And nor do I ever want to revisit it again. So that's just basically a dark mulligan that I can't. I just have to opt out. Like, what is it when, like, you're in on a judge ship, you have to recuse yourself if there's some sort of, yeah, I have to recuse right, yeah. on that movie on any level. Oh, fair enough. Um. Yeah. So those are my three. But you know, look, we're we're Tom's trying to drag the film industry back. Um, he seems to be doing all right with this movie. It's making. It was, by the way, this movie was his biggest opening weekend ever. It's that's kind of shocking to me. Um, but it's true. Um. Yeah. Anything else, Barry? Now, would you recommend? Top Gun Maverick yes. people? What, what's, yes. what's your deal? Yeah, because I think, I mean, even even if you don't, okay. even with the problems, I think it's an enjoyable enough of a watch. I desperately want to get people in theaters and I want people to make movies that actually entertain people and don't just brood and are dark. So for a multitude of reasons, I would say absolutely go see it. Just know that it's not a perfect movie and there's things that if you're going to analyze it, have problems. And it could have been a better movie, but it's still it's still worth your whatever, 10, 15, 20 bucks, depending on where you live and what type of screen you see it on. Cost, and I say don't wait for streaming. Go see it. 
and I would go see it on the biggest screen you can with the best sound. It's 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 one of those ones that it pays off not seeing it on a tiny screen with a so so uh, sound system. So I have a buddy who um, doesn't go it's been years since he went to the movies and I told him I went and saw this and he's like oh I'm sort of intrigued to go see it and listen you haven't been to the movie you're just gonna end up feeling silly this is it like if it's like this is an event for you it's just it's silliness but you know he has older parents and I, and uh I said but you know when you're visiting your parents if you go to see a movie with them, like looking for something to do, then yeah, go see it. Cause like, it's pretty harmless. It, it's, and it's silly, but it'll feel less silly if you go with like, you know, your 70 something year old parents and be like, Hey, this is something we can do. Yeah. Um, so that's my take. Cause I, 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 you definitely like the movie more than I did. I did not like it. I, but you know, I'm not a Tom Cruise fan. Uh, I I didn't like the original, you know. So like, it is what it is. But I have to say, the thing that that's crazy to me about this is how much critics love this movie. It, it's just asinine. Anyway, all right. So we've been talking about this movie a long time. Let's let it go. Barry likes Top Gun with reservations. I do not like Top Gun without reservations. Um, I, I, that's it. I'm going to leave you this. A, a friend of mine who has worked with the editor. Um, said that this movie is better than the original, which I don't agree with. And then I had another fr- friend in the industry that said, as a prognostication, get ready, that this will guaranteed be nominated for Best Picture next year. Oh, Just Jesus. Think, <laughs> think about that as we send you in your oh. way, Mike. The rest of the audience probably doesn't care, but I have just wrecked Mike's the rest oh, of his man. evening is now just a dark, sad place. Uh, the rest of my week is just brutal. Um, no, but Best picture funny, winner, right? Top Gun Maverick. Right before we came on, I logged onto my computer and uh, I didn't read I, the article. It's just on Yahoo. But it, the headline was, is Top Gun uh, Best Picture Worthy? I'm sure it's going to say yes, but... Um, I, I quickly tried to get as far, far away from that, and then you it up. God damn it. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody, listening to us torture each other over Top Gun Maverick. We'll see you next time at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>